0: How many of you have ever testified before for legal reasons, whether in court or police report? All right, no snitches in here. Great. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, the The other day, well, actually, it was like maybe two weeks ago now, we had an incident on my block. A driver turned the corner really quick, and they came down the block, and all you heard was screeching and swerving and all of that stuff. And uh, turns out that the person sideswiped two cars that were parked, doing nothing, and um, just wrecked those two cars. It was it was very unfortunate. But a, a good Samaritan witnessed the situation, and they took the license plate number down, wrote it on a piece of paper, and put it on the windshield of the car affected. When the police came, and it was time to report it, they had that information, but they couldn't do anything with it because they needed the person to testify themselves. They needed that person to be present. Uh, Even if they go and check the other car and see all the scratches and all that, they needed that person to say that that car caused those wounds and they're responsible for this accident. And so how many of you guys know that God testifies on behalf of Jesus and on behalf of us by extension. In today's passage I want to just I mean I'm gonna give you guys a little spoilers kind of like when the movies when they show you a scene and then they say like three hours earlier um, so we're gonna go to first John chapter 5 and we're gonna start at the end of verse uh, 9 Right. Pray this music stand stays, holds up. And so at the end of verse nine, it says this For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony, verse 11, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Church, I want to ask us a question. If you hear the sound of my voice, whether you're online or you here in person, do you have the son? If God were to testify in a courtroom about you, what would he say? Would he say that what happened in Jesus applies to you because you have him? Or would he testify that you have calling him a liar and that you don't have the son? Let's read the whole passage here. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Church, my hope for us today is that we can walk away from here knowing that we can confidently believe God's testimony of the work of Christ, which offers eternal life. I'm going to say that again. We can confidently believe God's testimony of the work of Christ, which offers us eternal life eternal life let's pray father thank you that you testify concerning the work of jesus that this is not just some blind faith that we walk into but that we have a savior who really lived who really died and who really rose again And we pray today that we would walk out of here confident in your testimony And that we would have that confidence within us, and that it would change us. God, give me the power that makes preaching easy, and may you get all of the glory. Hide me behind the cross. And God, open our eyes and our hearts to receive what you have to say. Help us to be doers, and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. So the first thing that we need to know in this passage is that the testimony of God is trustworthy. You can trust the testimony of God because that testimony is trustworthy. And so we start off with a very odd kind of sentence. It sounds really weird. It says, this is he who came by the water and the blood. Not by water only, but the blood also. And the Spirit testifies. And these three agree that the water, the Spirit, and the, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And so what is John talking about? You and I might hear this and we're like, I don't know. This is probably not going to be a verse that gets put on one of those Christian T-shirts, right? It's just like, what are you saying, John? But clearly, John understands. John is speaking to an audience that he thinks would understand these references. So if you ever hear youth speaking, okay, I'm blessed to be around youth a lot. Uh, And, you know, I'm a teacher, so. But if you ever hear them speaking, sometimes it could sound like coded language. And you're like, what is this kid talking about? I'm hip, with the, I'm hip with the terms, so I understand and I can decode it. But not all of the teachers can, right? And, and so this is what John is doing. He's talking to a people that would understand his terminology. They would know what he meant by spirit and water and blood. He's not just being a weirdo, all right? Um, and so the good news about this is that scholars have done so much research They have studied the Bible. They have studied John's letters. They have studied history and even looked at some of the people that were discipled by John the Apostle himself. And the the challenge to it, though, is that they say a bunch of different things, and there's not really a lot of um, agreement on what this means. That said, I want to provide you guys with a few of these interpretations, a few of these meanings, right? So the first one is that it's talking about baptism and communion. All right, the the sacraments of baptism and communion, water and blood. I think that's a bit of a stretch, and here's why. The whole time that we've been reading First John, the apostle is making a point to defend the incarnation of Jesus, that God, the Son, has became a human being. He's t- taken on flesh and dwelt among us. Now, today, we have a problem with seeing Jesus as God, but back then, they couldn't see God taking on flesh and becoming a human. That was just weird to them. And this is what the secessionists, The people who have broken away from the church were getting hung up on and were speaking about. And so I don't believe baptism and communion is really a strong one. The next one is that this is a reference to John 19, 34, where in Jesus' crucifixion, to make sure that he had actually died they take a spear and put it right under his rib cage, right? And it shows that water and blood flowed out from his side. And what the writer would have been doing was stating a medical reason to say Jesus really died, right? So there was no way that this man faked his death and then fabricated this identity of like he was resurrected. No, he really died. Romans were very good at killing people. Crucifixion was very sure way to die. And they, they proved that. Um, and while this t- this interpretation has the benefit of having the text next to it of John uh, nineteen thirty four, I still think it's not exactly quite fitting all of the criteria within this passage. There's another one that that looks at these references of water and blood as water being spirit, referencing his godness, and blood being a reference to his flesh, right? That he had blood running through him, so he was both God. And man, and I think this is a stronger interpretation, but yet it's not the one that I land at um, because it says that through these three testimonies that God is testifying. And so I wanted to, I landed at this last one here, all right, which is that John is basically refuting the, the person Serenthus or the Serenthians. There's these people who believed in this man named Serenthus who had broken away from the church. And what he was preaching was that Jesus was a man. He was born of Mary and Joseph, like any other human being. But that upon his baptism, the Christ entered him. So they, there's a reason why John says Jesus Christ. He's, he's combining these two terms. But he's say, they were saying Jesus was a regular human and the Christ was somebody that came during his baptism but left before his crucifixion because they just couldn't fathom God coming to die for human beings. And so what I believe is that this is a reference. when, When John says water and blood, what he's doing, he's referencing water, the baptism of Jesus, saying that God was upon him there, and God does testify in the baptism of Jesus. But then he's also referencing that at the crucifixion, that Jesus was also the blood. Not the water only, but by blood as well. That's why there's an emphasis on that point. And so that's what we're going to look at. In verse 6, at the end of verse 6, it says that, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And so one of the clearest of the three that testify is the identity of the Spirit. The Spirit, um, John fifteen says, is that's what one of his jobs is to do. Is that he naturally he testifies. All right, so I want to read to you guys John fifteen twenty six. It says, "But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. Bear witness means to testify." And so this is what John is saying is that the Holy Spirit's very job, the same way that Jesus came, the Holy Spirit testifies. He does this, and he tells us the truth. And so the Holy Spirit would have been testifying about what? The truth about Jesus. Now, the church would have the Holy Spirit, and they would have this assurance within themselves that what they were hearing, what they were learning, was of the Spirit. And we spoke about this previously in some weeks. But then he goes on to say in verse seven that, uh, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, this is important. Back in this culture, in this day, a testimony of one person would not be enough to say this was true. It would not be enough to hold up in court. There would need to be at least two or three people giving testimony. This is based on Deuteronomy 17 and 6. That There would need to be three testimonies. So what John is saying is that this testimony has veracity. It is true. It is sure because we have three witnesses. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three witnesses agree. These three witnesses agree. And so I want to look at those three witnesses really quickly here. All right? Let's go back to the Gospel of John. And in verse 16, Jesus says a little bit more about the spirit here. Verse 16, uh, excuse me, John chapter 16 verses 13 to 14. It says when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, something that these people were doing they were speaking on their own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will and this is Jesus speaking glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you so the spirit testifies of Jesus that is the very job of the spirit in us is to testify to him, to glorify Jesus, to open up our eyes, to see Jesus, and to receive the truth of what he has done for us. John chapter 1. I'm flipping a bit here. John chapter 1, verses 29 to 33. Let's look at the water. In John chapter 1, verses 29 to 33, we see a testimony of um, Jesus' baptism. and Here's what it says. The next day he saw Jesus. So, real quick, there's a few Johns in the Bible. So many Johns that one of them actually goes by the name Mark. Um, <laughs> so He was just like, he was just call me Mark, fam. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of Johns. But this dude is John the Baptist, who was also Jesus' cousin. He's John the Baptist not because he was Baptist as opposed to, like, Pentecostal or anything like that. He's John the Baptist because he literally was baptizing people. Okay? And so this is where we get into here. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, John, and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a reference to uh, Jesus' death. Lamb of God, to his sacrificial death on our behalf. Then again, but keep reading. It says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So this is what John is saying. John is doing something very odd. Okay, He is baptizing people of Israel, the, the covenant nation of God. All right? He's saying, you guys need to repent as well, and you guys need to be prepared for the coming Messiah. And so he says, and John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water to me. He on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. Literally, in other accounts, what we see is that the, the, the sky opens up, and we, see, we hear the very voice of God. God testifying that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So he comes in spirit and in water and blood. The last one is the blood. And I'm going to go to the Gospel of Matthew, verse 27 to 45 for this one. All right? Stick with me here. Matthew 27, 45 to 54. Now, from the sixth hour, and just so that this is a reference to our time, okay, we just, uh, last week we celebrating Rosh Hashanah, and that was the new year of Jewish, in the Jewish calendar. And so Jewish time is like, is very different from ours. So when it says the sixth hour, what they're talking about is noon. Now that's important, because what I'm about to say is gonna be, it's, it's just, it's weird, it's different. All right, so behold, uh, and now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land. At noon, when it's supposed to be brightest out, is dark? Hmm. Very strange. And, and, and this, is a, this is something like, like Matthew was writing this gospel in a time when people who were reading it would have been like, yeah, I was there for that. I was there for that. It's like saying 9-11, right? And some of us who are alive for 9-11 making claims about 9-11, and we were able to say, yeah, you know what? That's true. I remember that. I was there. He wouldn't be able to fabricate this idea up. And so he says that there was darkness over all the land. You'd remember something like that. Twelve o'clock and you just see, you know, just blackness in the sky. Like, that's weird. And so it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the the land is literally crying out as this injustice is happening to God the Son. And one of them at once, excuse me, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah, verse 48. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others say, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The very moment when the the, the Son of God yields his spirit, look at what happens next. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Y'all, man... I'd have had, this is a Pentecostal church, I'd have had people running around the whole room right now. I swear. Y'all didn't hear that? The, the, the curtain. Let me let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, all right? The curtain was the place that separated right, the rest of the temple from the holy of holies, the very place where God dwelt. And so what happens is God tears that up as soon as Jesus is dead. Because why? Access has been granted into the Holy of Holies. This was rare. Only one time a year would the high priest go into the Holy of Holies, and sometimes they'd wrap something around their ankle, because if that person slipped up, they might die in the very presence of God. So they had to drag them out. And what's happening right here is this very, like, supernatural phenomenon where the curtain is just torn down as things are dark. And as Jesus yields up his spirit, and check this out, there's only one reaction. Well, there's more to it. All right. And behold, the curtain of the temple too was torn from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Bro, an earthquake came the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised again Matthew's making some wild claims here if you were alive to witness this you'd be like nah but this is what's happening people are literally raising from the dead like a sign of what's to come some somebody was like didn't I see you at your funeral like 2 weeks ago what you doing walking around here this is this is wild like and so the, 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 the testimony of God is on full display as the curtain is being broken, as the sky is blackened, as literal dead bodies are coming up from the ground. You know, some. As it says, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So they wasn't just up, they were walking around. When the centurion and those who were with him, and this is the reaction right here, the only appropriate reaction that we can give, were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. The Christ did not disappear before the, res- the, the, the crucifixion. He was still there. He was still there. He, he didn't never change. He never stopped being human. He never stopped being God. He was always the Son of God. Now, there's a, there's a secondary kind of like illusion here. When John says, this is he who came by water and uh, by spirit, water, and blood, where he is he, likely referring to an Old Testament Uh, um, image here, right? Where in Exodus and Leviticus, you can read about it. When the high priest was ordained, what would happen was they would cleanse themselves with water. They would sacrifice the lamb and they'd be sprinkled with some blood. And then they would be anointed with oil, which represented the very presence of the spirit upon them. Spirit, water, and blood. And so this is a reference to Jesus, who is our very great high priest. He is the one that fulfills all righteousness at his baptism, in his life. He is the one that atones for our very sin on the cross and breaks the curtain into, He is the one that gives us access into the throne room of God. And so you cannot deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ, because in doing so... In doing so, you deny the very act of salvation. In order for Jesus to save us, he had to become a human. According to Romans 5, He had to. Uh, uh, um, it was by Adam that we all fell, and so another man had to reverse the curse. And Jesus comes through, and what he does is he takes on humanity, and he never leaves his godness. He stays God. But he comes, he takes on humanity, and he pays for the sins of human beings on that cross. This is a very challenge to our society because we, we, we want to, you know, be gods, essentially. Like, you can see this in our culture with the falcon or, or the winter soldier. When you look at uh, winter, yeah, I'm, I'm messing up the title. But the super soldier, right? The super soldier is basically this man who becomes God. And so that's what that's this challenge that we have had to face throughout all of history is men trying to become God, men trying to like be God. But Jesus wasn't a man who became God. Like Serenthus was teaching that the Christ was anointed on him at his baptism. Jesus was God who took on humanity and became a man. And that is significant. Because as we'll read in verses 12 and 13, in 1 John 5, verses, back in 1 John 5, verses 12 and 13, it says that, actually, let's start at 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And so here's my question, again, to all of us. Do you have the Son? You got to think about that. Do you have the Son? Denying the Son has grave consequences. Because as this passage says, that if we do not have the Son, we do not have life. We do not have life. There are at least three ways, three common ways that, I've, uh, that we can deny the Son we can deny him by believing that you can work your way to god and that's exactly what serpentis was doing here right he didn't want to believe that god had come to man he wanted to, 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 to feel like they could then you know aspire to be like jesus who joined the ranks of god they wanted to like reach god but that is impossible family impossible The standard where God is is far higher than where we are. And so the only way for us to be reconciled to God is for God to come down to us. You can deny him by focusing on yourself, your sinfulness. And so this this, this sounds like this. There is no way God would come to bring me eternal life. There's no way. Listen, there is a way. And yeah, it wasn't because of the the worth that you and I inherently have, but it was because of God's rich mercy and love which he lavishly poured on us. Here's the last one. Another way you can deny He He can come to earth, but He better not expect anything of me. Yeah, God could take on flesh. But that better not have no, that better not be changing up my life. I'm still in charge. I'm still in control here. Oh, you want that thing done? Nah, not God. And so, but denying Jesus's incarnation means calling God a liar. It means denying the very thing that connects and reconciles human beings to God. But what does it mean to have the son? On the flip side... What does it mean to have the son? You can have a meal, you can have peace, and you can have a lawyer. In all those things, we have something, right? But it's different. You know, a meal is like this tangible thing that you have before you. Peace is not, and a lawyer is someone that, you know, they work. But in all of these things, having something means you benefit from its function. It means that that very thing does its thing for you. And because we have Christ, he does his thing for us. And what is that very thing in this passage is that he offers us life. And then and then almost like as if it's like the synonymous term, the the apostle says, eternal life. John 10:10, I have come, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. eternal life, I've said this before eternal life don't just start when we die eternal life is something that we are are given when we believe, something that we access when we believe in Jesus and it's eternal life for a reason because, I don't know Christians be walking around like moping like, oh, so negative like, oh my gosh, I can't do this and I can't do that you know what you can do? everything that God wants you to And that's much better than all of the things that you can't do. Much better. Because to be in God's will is the very very thing that brings us life. There's no better place to be than that. Having the Son leads to eternal life It is not a prize that we can earn, but a prize that we are gifted by God. And listen... Listen to this. The gift of life in Christ is a very present possession. True, it is further described as eternal, which means literally belonging to the age. But since the age to come has broken into this very present age, the life of the age to come, eternal life, can be received and enjoyed here and now. In heaven, in earth as it is in heaven. And so in closing, if you do not know Jesus, man, I couldn't plead with you more. Believe in him. Believe that this is God who came and took on flesh because we couldn't access him. Believe that he is the God who required the perfect righteousness that you had to have to to, to get to God, which we couldn't because we sinned. He did that, and then he exchanged it on a cross for the punishment that you and I deserved. He is the very God who is redeeming all things. The God who is breaking eternity into the here and now. If you have the Son, you have life. You have life. You waiting for something, like you're waiting to, like, you know, just. But you have life right here and right now in Jesus. And be encouraged by this. You do not follow a blind faith. But we have a faith that is based on the evidence of a sure testimony, and that is the very testimony of God. God breaking into our time, our space, and showing himself in a very real and authentic way. Finally, you have access, confident access, because of the work of Christ. And so this, is, this should embolden your prayer lives. This should embolden your faith, that as you walk, that, that God is with you. You have access to the God of the universe. And then finally, you can be a faithful witness. The Spirit is the one who makes this testimony clear. And puts it within all of us. And so be be faithful in the people that you talk to. Understand that there is a power that is far greater than you that is at work. That it is not your job to convince someone, but it is your job to be faithful. Father, thank you that Jesus came, with spirit, and water, and blood. I pray that today, that as you are calling someone and impressing on their hearts to receive you, Lord, that they would be open. God, that there would be no fear, but Lord, that they would receive eternal life, knowing that whatever they lose is nothing in comparison to what we gain in you. God, I pray for your church. I pray that we would walk around with confidence because what we believe is not just some, you know, just blind faith, but it is something that is backed with evidence and your testimony. Thank you for what Christ has done on the cross. We pray that we would be confident as we share your message with others. And Lord, that your testimony would rise within us so that we can confidently know that you are ours and we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.